The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 23. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. I'm a little loud. I'm a little hot. And that is anything that I need to be. Do not need to be hot. All right. Uh, I want to welcome you to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. I got a couple really quick announcements. Number one, March 1st, we are having our Real Marriage Conference. Uh, pastor Mark Driscoll will be in uh, via video. It's going to be pretty much all day. We are catering in lunch. We've got a lot of people signed up for that already. If you have not signed up, sacredcitychurch.com. You can sign up $20 for a couple, $15 for an individual. Uh, engaged, single, looking to be married, married a long time. Newly married, this is for everyone. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be funny. It's going to be good. There's going to be a lot of content. So I really encourage everyone 
to uh, try to make it out. It's the first time we've ever done anything like this. Uh, we really want to invest in, in, uh, in, in the godly marriages. So sign up, check it out. And then lastly, if you have come to faith uh, recently and you have not been baptized, we are planning to have a baptism service on Easter. So we're going to have Easter baptisms this year. So just get in contact with me or Rev. Uh, you'll be seeing some stuff on the city. There's a process on the city that we'd like you to go, go through. So if, if you're here and, and you've been making disciples, right, and you've got some friends that have joined you in missional community, um, now is just time to start asking, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? And if they have not been baptized, we've got this process set up that we want to um, celebrate with them on Easter Sunday. So that said, I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in this morning. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being here. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to be with us, to lead us and guide us into the truth that your word is truth. That Jesus, we know in John 1 that you are the word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So would you walk in and amongst us this morning? Would you walk in and out of every row? Would you speak? Would you rebuke the enemy that tries to confuse us, that tries to deceive us? Um, would you bring light in dark places? Would you do that this morning? And ultimately, this is all for your glory, that the people may praise you, that the people may look up and say, God is great, um, and that we can get smaller and you get bigger in our, in our minds and in our hearts and in our worship. Would you anoint my mind to think your thoughts and speak your words? And would you anoint our ears to hear what you would have to say to your church this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are smack dab in the beginning, <laughs> smack dab in the beginning of a study through 1 Corinthians, following Jesus in a jacked up church. We are now in the third chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians at Sacred City Church here. If you've been with us for a while, you know this. If not, uh, you can come to understand. We just go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, we don't preach a bunch of series. We don't preach topical we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We think this is the best way to teach you how to study your Bible and also to have a comprehensive understanding of a book of the Bible and what Scripture actually is teaching. So last week, we began in the third chapter of the book of, of, the book of Corinthians, and we began to see some of the root problems, some of the root problems that were going on in the church in Corinth. Last week, Paul, I said he, was, he, he started out real quiet only because he was loading his gun, right? But then he unloaded both barrels, and he was really aggressive, and he really unloaded on the Corinthians. In the first four verses, he said they were immature infants in Christ who were living like people who weren't even filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I know this because you're jealous of one another. And when you're jealous of one another, you're behaving in an only human way. You are behaving like people void and absent of the Spirit. So for all the church people, hopefully a lot of us left really convicted of our own unrighteousness, right? Of our own sin, that, that works of the flesh are not just sexual morality and drunkenness and witchcraft. Like those are, those are works of the flesh, but works of the flesh that he leads with, the tip of the spear that he leads with are jealousy and strife. So if you've ever been jealous, <laughs> that's your flesh at work, right? That's where Paul started off last week, that their jealousy was the poisoned root that was producing all kind of poisoned fruit. 
right? So if you've got some fruit that are being produced that you don't like, you should probably trace that back to its root and deal with it at its root. You can, you know, why are you coveting other people's things? You could try to deal with that at the fruit level, or you could go back to the root of it, which is jealousy in your heart, not being satisfied for not being satisfied by who Jesus is and what he's done for you in Christ. So today we're going to see Paul do two things now as he builds on that argument. First, he's going to continue, right, to build out that argument from last week. He's going to show us exactly why it's wrong and merely human for Christians to divide up the church based on which teacher they like best, which leader they want to be under. And then as we saw last week, Paul's going to end this chapter with an argument, and I love how John Piper said this. He said the argument that we kind of touched on last week, uh, the answer to our jealousy and our strife, basically Paul says the reason you're jealous in Christ is because you're not, you don't remember or realize or live like it's true that all things are already yours in Christ. If you knew that all things were yours, you wouldn't be jealous of other people's things right? If you understood that all things are already yours in Christ. And John Piper said that argument is so brief. He said, brief like a lightning bolt brief. (laughs) It is brief, but powerful, packed with power. If you get that, if you get that all things are yours in Christ, it completely changes your jealousy. It delivers you at the root. It changes you at the root, at the foundation level of your heart, that all things are mine in Christ. Then how could I be jealous of other people, if I get that, right? That's a brief argument, but it's lightning bolt brief. Now, just so everyone knows, I don't think we are in the same situation right now as a church as the Corinthians were, okay? The Corinthians, uh, we, right now, we don't have a lot of strife. We don't have a lot of strife in our church surrounding multiple leaders or multiple teachers in the church, and thank God for that. Right? Thank God for that. But because we are all sinners, every one of us in this room, we're still united. <laughs> we, we still all struggle with sin on a daily basis. We struggle and battle our sinful desires. This type of problem is always lying right below the surface. See, we're filling up around here. God's been gracious to us and the church is growing Last year, uh, we averaged around 111 people per Sunday in January, and this year we've averaged 176. That's a 55% increase in attendance over the past year. Things are getting a little tight. We still got plenty of room. You know, we still got room in here. We got plenty of room up in the balcony, but parking's getting a little difficult. Um, And if we continue to grow at this pace, we're going to have to make some tough decisions soon. Should we find a new location? Should we go to two services? Should we plant another church, maybe in Illinois? None of those questions has an easy answer. And no matter what we decide, all of us won't be completely happy about it. And when some of us don't get what we want or what we think is right, there's going to be a great opportunity for the church to get divided. Now, we've seen over the last few weeks that the Corinthians here, They were good at elevating their preferences above the gospel. They were elevating what they desired, what they liked. I like this type of worship style. I like this preacher. I like the way this guy says it. I like the way this guy leads. They would elevate their personal preferences over the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that created jealousy and that created strife. 
And now what the Apostle Paul is going to show us here is that our jealousy problems, our jealousy problems, our preference problems, our division problems are really theological problems. What's theology? Theology is the study of God. It's the nature of who God is, what he's done, right? So our division problems, our jealousy problems, they're actually theological problems. And this is what I mean. When we are divided, when we are jealous, what happens in our heart is that we shrink God and we elevate humans. Now, this is a theological problem that leads to real world problems. I can no more shrink God than I can put put the moon in my pocket, right? I can't actually do that, but in my mind... And in my heart, when God loses his place of prominence, when he's no longer my controlling center, he becomes small to me. And when God becomes small, humans get really big. And when you study the Bible, you're actually going to see this tension all the way through the Bible. When people see God as he is, that God is, the word the Bible uses is glorious, That's bigger, badder, better, weightier, more substance, more worthy of worship. When people see God as glorious, as the greatest of everything that exists, people, he gets really big and people get really small. People's opinions get really small. But when we lose sight of the absolute glory of God, people start having more influence on us and on our behavior than God does. Can I ask you this morning, if you did an assessment right now of your life, of your heart, is that where you're at? What has more sway? And not just mentally, but emotionally, your affections. What has more weight in your life? Do people have more weight in your life than God does? Here's some diagnostic questions. Do you feel compelled to help people solve their problems? but then feel like you're always giving to others, but then no one's giving back to you? Do you often feel unappreciated? Do you fear rejection? Or are you ashamed of who you are? No, 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 not not your your put-together self, right? Not your Friday night makeup on, looking good self, right? But your real, who you really are. Are you ashamed of who you really, if people could x-ray your heart and see into your mind and see the way that you think about other people, are you ashamed of that? Do you spend a lot of time worrying about whether people like you or not? Did I make a good impression? I wonder what, did I say that right? Did I say that wrong? Did I offend them? Oh, man, do you spend a lot of time worrying whether people, other people like you or not? Now listen, those are all signs of a theological problem. Those are all signs that, listen, you might, what do you mean a theological problem? I know God is glorious. I know God is big. I know God is worthy. What are you talking about? Listen, that's your uh, intellectual theology. I'm talking about your functional theology theology, the way you live, the way your beliefs work out of your behavior, that shows what you really believe, right? Your functional theology. And in your functional theology, when people get big, when their opinions matter more than God, 
When you say things like, well, I know God says I'm forgiven, but I feel, I know God says I'm his child, but I feel worthless, I feel afraid, I feel, see, that's your functional theology has actually shrunk God. And when God gets small, people get big. You, you end up spending all your energy or the majority of your energy on other people and their problems. Psychology calls this being codependent, by the way. But it can happen in, other, in another way as well. See, sometimes when we lose sight of the glory of God and we kind of sense our own insecurities and we sense our own smallness, we get scared or insecure and then fear tempts us to attach ourselves to someone stronger. Someone more competent, someone more esteemed, someone more gifted, someone more secure. And oftentimes we end up making our leaders now into functional saviors. I trust this leader. Oh, if, if anything goes wrong, I don't go to Jesus first thing. I go to my missional community leader. I go to my pastor. I go to whatever. I go to my podcast. I just got to watch another podcast. Give me what I need. Right? Sometimes we make our leaders into functional saviors, and that is what Paul's addressing right now. This is the second concern of Paul, is when we elevate human leaders and we start looking at human leaders instead of looking through human leaders to Jesus. See, my job is to be like a pair of glasses, right? I hope that, see, we all struggle with vision, right? All week long we shrink God, and God gets this small uh, space in our heart. So what my job is to do and what your leader's job is to do, what actually all of our lives is to do to, to, for one another, is to act like a pair of glasses that the people can look through us and focus on Jesus. And Jesus, though he's been blurry and he's gotten shrunk down, we can focus on him and he can be big in our life and in our hearts again. That's my job, to, be, to work like a pair of glasses, to bring Jesus into focus for you, right? That's what your mission, that's what we want to do. Look through me, look to Jesus. And look how Paul is going to address this. Look at, let's go to chapter 3, verse 5. If you've got your Bible, open it up. If you've got your app, open it up. If you, don't, if you need a Bible, they're sitting in the back. We want you to follow along verse by verse with us. Chapter 3, verse 5. When you're there, say there. Let's go. Here's what Paul says. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Look, look, look. Servants. Okay, we're going to stop right there. <laughs> now, Servants, this word literally means one who serves like a waiter. Now, this is crazy to me. Paul says, what am I? I'm a waiter. What is Paul? What is Apollos? What is Justin? We're waiters. We carry the entrees. Would you like more water with that? Right. That's what Paul said. He could have elevated himself. Right? He didn't. He said, hey, I'm just a waiter. We aren't the owners. We're not the chef. We're waiters. And what do waiters do? Right? Waiters are people through whom you get your food. Right? Waiters are people through whom you get your food. Well, look what he says there. What that is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, look, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. See, 
Preachers and teachers are waiters that bring you your meal. We merely delivered to you the gospel and then you believed it, right? You gobbled it up, I hope, right? Someone else cooked it and you ate it, but we brought it to you. So we are servants through whom you believed. Now, keep reading. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, this is hilarious for me because one of my mentors, he planted uh, church about seven or eight years ago, I think. He planted, that's Bob Thune. He planted Cormdale Church. And Bob, uh, his title when he planted the church was Cultural Architect. Now, I have no idea what that means, but that's a really cool title, right? People don't even call me pastor very much. I usually introduce myself on Sunday as I'm the pastor at Sacred City. Uh, I am the pastor here, but I don't walk around. I don't put that on my, you know, my contact doesn't say Pastor Justin Dean. My Twitter doesn't say Pastor Justin. I'm just Justin, right? And, And it's interesting that many of us in our world, we want really cool titles. Titles mean a lot to us, right? My, my buddy, I'm chief uh, cultural architect, right? Like pastor didn't do. But what Paul does right here, he goes, oh, I'm Paul. I'm the plow boy. And Apollos, he's the water boy. That's our titles. Water boy and plow boy. Right? Put that on your business card. Right? That's how he addresses himself. And then, but then he says this, this is what, we, we did what? As it was assigned by the Lord, right? As God assigned to each, right? This is my job. You know what my job is? Stop bragging who you're under. Stop bragging about your leaders. I'm a plow boy. He's a water boy. Why are you bragging about that? And that's what the Lord assigned to each of us to do. See, Paul was on the frontier. He pioneered the work. He came into Corinth. There was no Christian church. There were no Christians. He started preaching and sharing the gospel from house to house and person to person. person. And then little houses were formed. Little house churches were formed, right? The gospel spread. The church happened. He lived with them for a couple years. Then he moves on. He founded the church. And then what did he do? Then Apollos moved in. When Paul was gone, Apollos moved in and he watered what Paul had sown. He stepped in the place of Paul and started teaching, started raising up these new disciples. And Paul says, they're nothing. Look at verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but look, but only God who gives the growth. This is amazing. Paul and Apollos are not anything. They're nothing. And this, is, this, should, this should be, if you read the Bible, you should, you should be kind of, you should understand that Paul is balancing this here. Now listen, Paul mentions um, Epaphroditus in Philippians 1.29, and he says, honor such men. Honor them. Listen. And he tells the Thessalonians, esteem your leaders very highly in love because of their work in 1 Thessalonians 5.13. So in some places, God says, esteem your elders, honor your preachers, honor your teachers, honor them. But here he goes, what was I? What was Apollos? Water boy, plow boy, we're nothing. It's all, all glory goes to God. God gets the praise for the growth. 
So listen to Pastor John Piper, scholar and Pastor John Piper's comments on this verse. This is what he says. The nothingness of Paul and Apollos or Justin or Sam is not a nothingness that makes them less honorable. In fact, they are the more honorable as they decrease and God increases. See, honor in the church is bestowed in direct proportion to a person's God-exaltation and self-humbling. When Paul me- what Paul means is not that he and Paulos have no honorable role to play, but that compared to God's role in the church, it's as nothing. See, listen, God is shining so brightly that you can't see the candle of our significance. See, Piper says, leaders show their honor by how, how well they exalt God and humble themselves. How well they make God look bigger and make themselves look smaller. That's honorable for a leader. God exaltation, human humiliation. And when God gets bigger in our minds and in our hearts, people get smaller, right? If you're in a dark room and you light a candle, power ever goes out, like my kid's favorite time, right? Power goes out, we need candles, right? Get them together. That candle seems pretty bright. But when you bring that candle out in the noonday sun, right, that's my significance, right? In light of God's glory, I'm a candle in the noonday sun. Our teachers are candles in the noonday sun, right? We're okay in the dark. We're okay when we're not seeing Jesus clearly. But when I can get you outside and look up at the sun, right, I'm not going, look at my candle, Right? And nobody's going, your candle. Right? It just shines so bright. See, this is another glimpse at why Sacred City wants to be a God-centered church. Not a person-centered church. Not a leader-centered church. Not a people-centered church. This isn't all about you. This isn't all about me. I don't really care about your feelings. I, 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 I hate to say that like that, but I don't. Right? Usually when you walk out of here mad at me, that's just the spirit been at work convicting you of your sin. Right? I'm a candle. It's the sun. Blame it on the sun. See, this is not my church. This wasn't Paul's church or Apollo's church. This isn't Acts 29's church. This is God's church. We are God-centered. We're all about God. When we come in, we don't go, I hope you feel okay. I hope everybody's feeling really good. We say, look at God. This is the call to worship. We go, this is the call to worship. He's big. He's great. He's glorious. We forget that on a daily basis and live like we've got this little minuscule God that's just waiting for us to pray to, to, to meet all of our needs. Right? And God is glorious above anything we could, we could even think. And who are we? I'm a waiter. I do accept tips, by the way. Let's just throw that out there. Paul was a waiter, right? Apollos was a waiter, but God cooked the meal. God owns the place. He cooked it. He has made it presentable on the plate so that when you saw it, you craved it, you desired it, you couldn't wait to sink your teeth into it. God did all that, and nobody eats a phenomenal steak and then thanks the waiter. Oh, that was a great steak. You did a great job with that. Listen, carrying it from there to here didn't make no good steak, right? 
the, that all the praise and all the glory of the, the deliciousness of the meal needs to go back through the waiter to the chef and then to the owner who bought the chef, right, who pays the chef. He might, the, the, the waiter might have provided excellent service, but he didn't have anything to do with the steak. And that's what we're talking about today. Look at verse 9. Let's keep moving on. For we are God's field. He said, or we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And then look, God's building. Now this is, Paul, Paul preachers, this is a bad move for preachers, right? You don't mix your metaphors. You don't switch your metaphors right in the middle. Hey, you're God's field. And I planted and he watered and you're God's field. And then God's building. And then so we're going to... And he just transitions, right? This is a transition statement from using the illustration of God's field, and now he's going to transition to God's building. Let's keep going. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me. See, this is, what, this is how the gospel changes human effort. Paul doesn't go, um, I planted because I'm a theological genius. I planted and I preached, and you were changed because of all my time in seminary. Because all of my, he says, according to the grace of God given to me. It's not my human effort. It's not my work. It's not my hard work. It's the grace of God at work in me has enabled me to do this. Look, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is now building Upon that. This is Paul. This was his assignment from God, right? He's a concrete contractor, right? He was plowboy. Now he's a concrete contractor. I, he says, I laid the foundation. I snapped the plumb lines. I lined everything up. I staked it off. I mixed the concrete. I laid the foundation for the building of your life, for the church. I laid the foundation. And he says, I did that. Let me just say, it was God's grace, but I did it awesomely, right? Like a skilled master builder, I laid this foundation. And we already know Several times, Paul has not been afraid to repeat himself. He's let us know what that foundation was, right? And he's going to, just in case we're thick and we've got a public school education like I do, he's going to give us one more thing in verse 11, right? He's going to tell us again. Here it is. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said it many times before, Christ in him crucified. This is the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the foundation of your life. This is the foundation of what we're going to be building on. Jesus is the foundation. If you know anything about building projects, the foundation is the absolute most important part of the project. If it gets laid improperly, the entire structure is at risk, right? And Jesus Christ even used this illustration in Matthew 7, where he said, I'm the foundation, right? Every, we sang a song about it today. Every other foundation that you build your life on is like sinking sand. What does that mean? That means Jesus is the only foundation that's eternal, that will never move, come rain, come wind, right? Come whatever elements, Jesus Christ and that foundation is unmovable. It's immovable. But every other foundation that you could build your life on, 
can be swept away, can be taken away from you at a moment's notice. And listen, just for the record, for any of us who need to know, right, right here, this is what it means to be a Christian. See, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're good. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you've become a moral person. It doesn't mean that you go to church. Listen, to be a Christian is to have Jesus Christ as the absolute foundation for your life. Right? In chapter 1, verse 30, Paul said it this way, Jesus is our wisdom from God. He is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Jesus is the basket we put all our eggs in. Do you hear that? Jesus is the basket we put all our eggs in. He's our only hope. He's the only thing we lean on. He's the only foundation that is absolutely secure. Is that where you're at this morning? Have you made Jesus Christ the foundation for your entire life? Listen, if you haven't, everything in your life is at risk. If I was an insurance agent, I'd come in and go, you're a, you have a, your, your risk level is really high right now. Everything in your life could be taken from you and could be lost and actually will be lost. See, listen, every foundation other than Jesus Christ will be taken from you. Listen, this is, this is stark, but it need, we need some realization. Your money can, can be gone in an instant, right? You're one, you could be one, you, you forget to sign an insurance paper, right? And you get this diagnosis of cancer. You could be one signature away from bankruptcy. And no matter what, when the coffin closes, right, our money's gone. So that found, if your life is built on money and the stuff money can buy and the success and the, the comfort that money can buy, that's a foundation that will be taken from you. It's not eternal. What about your beauty? Listen, that one, it, you're losing that one by the day. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, right? That one's getting stolen by the day, by the minute, actually. You build your life. Listen, your beauty, I read an article this week. I, I can't even remember now. I'm probably going to mis misquote it and everything, but. It's like, it was on like, I think it was Christy Brinkley at 60, right? And how, how is she doing it? And I was literally like, are you, and it gave her diet. And it gave, I'm like, are you kidding me? How is she doing it? She has a, <laughs> she has a surgeon on speed dial. That's how she's doing it. There's no other way, right? You can eat as much broccoli and carrots as you want, but it ain't going to pull your face back tight like that. If you put your hope in beauty, right, and Sharon Stone, the same thing, Sharon Stone, you know, sex symbol of the 90s, she was talking about how in her 40s, she, she spent a week in her apartment, would not come out until she said she could convince herself that she was okay with getting older, right? Beauty fades. If your hope is in beauty, it's going to be taken from you. What about your friends? You know that. You're one fight away. 
you're one fight away and your friends could be taken. Or one car accident away and your friends could be taken. If your life is built around your friends and making your friends happy, that's a shaky foundation. Your spouse, your kids, your career, your athletic ability, anything else you try to build your life on is a terrible foundation that can crumble when the rain and the winds of this world come. Right? Everything else can be taken from you and none of those things are going to go into eternity. And Jesus Christ says, I'm the only foundation. I'm the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. Now listen. Let's just think about this. Jesus, he's already loved you when you were at your worst. Right? You didn't want anything to do with him. Out living your own life, doing what you want to do. Or being a really, really good person so you could avoid Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I don't need his grace because I'm awesome. I'm a moralistic good person. Right? So you were rejecting Jesus, didn't want anything to do with him. He died for you, gave you faith, gave you grace in that moment. He's already done that when you were at your worst. And not even death could stop Jesus Christ from loving you. He was resurrected, overcoming the grave, so that he could be with you for eternity. And so that he could give you the Holy Spirit. And right now, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, keeping you and sustaining you and fixing you and working on you and healing you and purifying you until eternity where you'll be glorified and may be made perfect. That's what Jesus is doing right now. And Paul is basically saying, listen, that's your foundation. And I know you've got a good foundation. Remember, Paul's been gone from the church two years. He's writing back to his people. And he's going, listen, guys, I know you've got a good foundation. I was there, right? I preached Christ crucified. You came into the faith standing firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You acknowledged your sin. You were in need of grace. You were given faith through the Spirit, and you turned from your sin, and you turned to Jesus. I know that your foundation was solid. I know that your foundation was solid. And listen, I think that's where many of us in here find ourselves today. Hey, I think I've made Jesus the foundation of my life. Or I'm, I've done that recently, and I'm working on that, or whatever you want to say. Like, I'm in the process of that. Jesus Christ is the foundation of my life. Now, that is to say, many of us say, I started out, we began by grace. It was all grace. It was all grace. But now what? Right? Jesus Christ and him crucifies our foundation, but now what? Have you moved on? Have you moved on from Jesus to other things? Got Jesus? Okay. Saved by grace. Check. Now let's move on. Let's do something else. Let's work on the business. Let's work on the family. Let's work on being good. Let's get this holiness thing figured out. Many of us do that. And you know what? Not just individually, but many churches do that as well. And in fact, Paul writes later, Paul writes to the Galatians, and he literally says in chapter 3 to the Galatians, he says, are you so foolish? I just say it like this. Are you that stupid? Did you start out in the spirit and now you're moving on to the flesh? Did you check the box? Jesus took care of. Now let's get to work and do good things and be good people and do it all on our, on our own. Did you really do that? 
And what Paul said, yes, that's what we do. I know I'm saved by grace, but now I got to figure this thing out. Now I got to work hard. Now I got to be better. Now I got to do more. Are we that foolish? And sometimes, and I think this is a big point here for Paul. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, the foundation that he laid, right, the foundation of Jesus. So listen, here's what's going on. Paul laid the foundation. Now we got the framing going up, right? If you see a house built, foundation's poured. Now we're building on top of that foundation. This is what Paul's saying. uh, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with, look, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, this is a big point for Paul. Listen, Paul's gone. Apollos is also gone. Apollos has came in. He's taught for a while, and now he moved on. Peter's not there. All of the big-name leaders have moved on. So the only workers here that he's talking about are the Corinthians themselves. There's no other leaders addressed in this letter that are in Corinth. He's not speaking to the elders, the pastors, the shepherds right now. He's speaking to all the people. Say, he's speaking to me. That's what he's doing right now. And that should make sense because, again, in Paul, in Ephesians 4.12, Paul says that he has given elders to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And now we see that the elders have done their job and they've moved on. They laid the foundation. But now the Corinthians are building on top of the foundation. And Paul says, listen, everyone in the church who is teaching and ministering and waiting tables are building up the church, but they are doing so. Here's the key. Here's the point. Everyone who's serving in the church, they're doing so, and they're building up the church, but they're either working with gold, silver, and precious stones, or they are working with wood, hay, and straw. So listen, this shows us right here that it matters how we build the church. Guys, listen, this In our society that we live in, it doesn't matter how you build the business. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you build the business and you bring in the money. Paul's saying that's not the way the church works. It matters how you build the church. It matters how we grow. It matters how we serve one another. It matters how we love and care for one another in community. The how is important. There is a way to build the church that you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones. And there is a way to build the church that you're building with wood, hay, and straw. There's a way to serve one another that's wood, hay, and straw. There's a way to serve one another and live in community with one another that's gold, silver, and precious stones. Listen. You can build the church, you can build a missional community based on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now listen, and then work out the implications. What does that mean to work out the implications of Jesus Christ and him crucified? That means that's the way God works. God works through humility. 
God works through prayer. God works through repentance. God works through meekness. Those are gold. That's how you build with gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the way God does it. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. He, he, he does it by how? By serving. You want to be awesome? Lay down your life. That's what Jesus says, right? Listen, so there's a way to build a church and build a community and serve one another that breeds humility, that's done in humility, the dependence on prayer. Dependence on the Spirit of God that makes us look small and make God look really big. That's how you build a church. That's how you build a community with gold, silver, and precious stones. But there's also another way to build a church, and that's through wood, hay, and straw. See, you can build a church based on Jesus Christ and then work out its implications, or you can build a church, listen, on Jesus Christ and then choose to revert back to the ways of the world. To build a church based on the world's wisdom. So easy. What's that look like? Marketing. Emotional manipulation. Big advertising budgets. Pop psychology. Catchy or edgy sermon series. Started out with Jesus Christ and him crucified, but then somewhere along the way, the church starts taking its cues from Apple or Google or Facebook and they move on from other, they move on from Jesus. That's straw. And Paul says, look at this, the next verse. Each one, each one's work will become manifest. Look, look, for the day. The day. See that D? That D is capitalized for a reason. The day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That means they built with gold, silver, or precious stones. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through the fire. Paul, listen, this is time. I I pray that God gets big in this moment. Paul says that a day is coming when everyone's work will be judged by God. Listen, he's not speaking to leaders in Corinth right now. There are no leaders that we know of in Corinth. He's speaking to every single person. And he's saying there's a day coming when your work will be judged by God. That's everyone, everyone that is a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be building up the body of Christ. You're building the church. You're building community. And that day that's coming, we call that day judgment day. And on that day, everyone's building materials will be tested by fire. See, Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire, and he's the building inspector. He's the one that all of our work will have to pass through. Gold, silver, precious stones, as they go through that fire, they will be refined like gold is is refined and purified in fire. If we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with humility, with spirit-led guidance, with meekness and repentance and faith, if we build in that way, as we go through the fire of God, stuff will be burned off, stuff will be melted off, but we'll be purified. 
by the fire. But if we build with wood, hay, and straw, listen, this is what it says. That work will be consumed and their workers will suffer loss as they get, listen, they're going to go through the gates. Have this picture in your mind, walking through the gates and the fire of God consuming it and your entire life's work going up in smoke. Which basically means everything you've worked for your entire life will have no eternal fruit. They make it into heaven, they say. They're saved, but only as through fire, barely by the skin of their teeth. They make it into heaven, but they're still smelling like smoke. Now listen, if that, if that scares you, it should. But I, there is some good news in that. See, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. If God calls you and you come to trust in Christ and you remain the laziest, good-for-nothing, spoiled brat who spends your whole life serving, being served by others, be sure you wasted your life. But because we have a perfect Savior, you're still saved. Was your faith weak and pitiable? Absolutely. Absolutely. How can you receive the grace of God and not be changed by it? Right? How can you receive that? I've been given all things in Christ and then go on and live like a lazy, spoiled brat. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. The, the grace that we receive and the faith that we've been given should change us. But be sure, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that, sa that saves us. Now listen, this is what Charles Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon was a uh, British preacher from the 1800s, and he said this. If your faith is fixed on Christ, though it seems to be in itself a line no thicker than a spider's web, it will hold your soul throughout time and eternity. The faith that saves men is sometimes so small that a man himself cannot see it. See, it doesn't matter how minuscule your faith is. That doesn't matter. It could be as thin as a spider's web as long as that web is connected to Jesus Christ. Right? As long as you put your trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all your sins, that you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It's the object of our faith, not the strength of our faith that saved us. But family, listen, let that, let that not be said of us. Let, not a, let, a, let Sacred City Church, let us not be the one who's, who's hoping for the spider web line of faith. Well, I can't really tell if I'm saved or not, but boy, I sure hope so. And you spend your whole life wasting it, building with wood, hay, and straw. Everything you work for, businessman, Everything you work for, stay-at-home mom. Everything you work for, if it's hay, straw, you walk through the gates and it's burned up. But if we build 
we build like the foundation, if we build with the same materials, if we build the same way we came to faith, in humility, in repentance, in faith, in meekness, we walk through, we walk through eternity's gates and we, we see the people that we've poured into, the people that we've discipled, the money that we've given away to the kingdom of God. That comes with us and it's purified. And we come in the gates with a family. Now look at verse 16. Do you not know, this is Paul's sar sarcastic way of speaking here. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know? Now, if you have an ESV, that second you in that sentence has a little three by it. And the reason being, is because they want you to see something in the Greek there. And if you go to the bottom, you can follow that little three, and what it says is that you is plural. That you is plural. Now listen. Many people want to appeal to this, you don't get a tattoo because you are the temple. Um, actually, the you there is the church. The you there is plural. He's speaking to the church of Corinth, and he's saying, you, the gathered assembly of all the people, you are the temple of God. Pa listen, Paul is speaking to these house churches that have pulled together, this ramshackle bunch. No big building, no budget, no fancy name, no million-dollar organ, just a missional community or two. And he says, you are God's temple. You are his dwelling place. God's own spirit is dwelling in, you, in your midst. See, Christian, you can't do this on your own. Again, it's not about you. When we gather together, we are God's temple. We are God's temple. You don't get that at home in your PJs. You don't get that from a podcast, no matter how phenomenal the preacher is. Paul says, you, plural, us, we, we are the temple of God, and this is where God dwells. Now, believe me, that would have blown them away, right? If you, if you remember back from the first few weeks, they were in a city filled with spectacular temples. The city of Corinth was filled with amazing structures. Just the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, had 1,000 prostitutes in it. Listen, that's a mega church, and that's just the priestesses. That was an impressive temple. But God looks at these 60 to 80 people huddled together, in two or three house churches, and he says, you're mine. You are my temple. You are my dwelling place. You are filled with my very presence. Listen. Following Jesus in a jacked up church, right? Church is hard. It's a jacked up and messy family. You're gonna get hurt but it's God's house. This is where he dwells. This is where he focuses his presence and no one can turn their back on the church or do damage to the church without suffering consequences. Th this is a tough text. 
tough. Look, look at this next verse. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. He's not talking about suicide. He's not talking about tattoos. He's not talking about how many cheeseburgers you've ate at McDonald's over the past 20 years. It's going to cause cancer in your body. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the gathering of God's people. Anyone who, is, who does damage to the church, anyone who is divisive in community, anyone who is jealousy and brings division in the body of Christ, anyone who doesn't work to build up the kingdom, build up the community, if you hurt the church, oh my goodness, God's going to get you. I, I don't think I've ever said that. But that's what he's saying. Anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That is a threat. So many times Christians come to church and they sit back and they judge everything. Kind of like when I, you know, went up to the new Pepper Jacks, right? I loved it in Omaha, so I want to go check it out. And I'm sitting just judging everything. I'm just, let's see if this meets my standard, right? We walk in as consumers. And Paul's saying here, he's speaking to you, he's speaking to us, he's speaking to all of us as the body of Christ. And he says, all of us are either building or destroying or we're building poorly. He says, we're all going to be judged by it. And so many times we can come into a church and we can sit back and we can judge like it's the leader's job to create all the culture and all the atmosphere. When Paul's saying, no, 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 it's all of you. We're all responsible. And if we're being divisive, if we're being destructive of the church, of your missional community, of your community, you're bringing strife and division and just being difficult, you're opposing God. You're going toe-to-toe, stepping in the cage with God himself. Good luck with that. And what happens to those people typically? They become their own little pastor at home with a remote control. They try church for a dozen years, then they end up watching TBN or pulling up a podcast because they're so arrogant, they can't come under anyone. They can't humble themselves at all. All they do is see negative, all they do is see problem. They're divisive and God is opposed to them. And if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, though it be like a spider web, they make it into heaven, but they come in smelling like smoke. And they wasted their life. Their kids grow up outside of a community. Their kids grow up with a negative view of Christianity, a negative view of the church. Oh, we love Jesus, but we hate the church. Oh, so you love Jesus, but hate his wife? You love Jesus, but hate his body? You love Jesus, but hate the temple he died to build? Shame on us. And this is a beautiful picture of a gospel threat. What? Now listen, 
you're in America, if you listen to talk radio or anything like that, there are a lot of external threats to Christianity and religious freedom, right? But here's Paul. Paul, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The danger of the danger that the church is facing is coming from within, not from outside. You want to know what destroys churches, Paul is saying? Jealousy and strife getting in the church, and that breeds poisonous, cancerous cells inside the body, and that trans. It's not the state's going to step in and make and change the way that I preach, right? They're not going to do that. They try to do that. We go underground. We figure it out, and the gospel explodes. That's what happened in China. The threat, external threat of Christianity is not going to snuff out Christianity. It's the internal threat. It's jealousy and strife in a church that's not snuffed out, that's not gospelized. What do I mean by this as being a gospel threat? Well, there's really no such thing. It's really law and gospel. But what I want to make the point is this. Paul is basically saying this. You, Christian, are God's temple. You gathered Christians together are God's temple. God's spirit is within you, and you are holy. He says that. You are holy. That's gospel, right? If you think you're holy, you're not holy, right? We're holy because of Jesus. We're holy because we stand on a holy foundation. We've been made holy in Christ. We've been made righteous in Christ. Right? That's gospel. You are the body of Christ. That's gospel. You've been given the spirit. That's gospel. You're holy. That's gospel. But now, right after he delivers the gospel, he lays them low with the law. He says, if you are destroying community, if you are destroying God's church, he will not sit idly by. He will destroy you. That's holy law. Every single one of God's laws, they are, here's the rules, here's the law, break them at your own destruction. You want to have an affair? Good luck with that. You'll destroy your life, you'll destroy your finances, you'll destroy your kids, you break God's law, they break you. That's the point. Have no other gods except for Jesus Christ, you break that law. It breaks you. Every other God will break you. Money will break you. Whatever you build your life on, it will break you. God's laws are, if you break them, they break you. He says, you destroy community, I'll destroy you. That's, that's a big threat. That's law. And it's important for us to hold these things in two hands. Basically, Paul is saying this, and he's going to recur this in, in his letter more and more. Listen, 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 this, this is the difference. This is who you are. Now live like it. Listen, if we get that backwards, we say this. Would you start acting holy so that you become a Christian, so that you're a good Christian? See, this is behaving to become Right? I'm trying to perform, and if I'm good enough, I'll be God's son, I'll be loved, I'll be a part of the community, I get accepted. This is legalism and moralism. Behave to become. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, you are God's temple. I look at you, I kind of throw up a little bit in my mouth. Right? Like, y- you don't look like it, you're not acting like it, but you are God's temple. You are holy. 
Now please live like it. This is who you are. Indicative, imperative. This is who you are. Now do it. You are holy. Live like it. You are a son. Live like it. If we get that backwards, it's legalism and moralism and every other religion on the planet. Only our planet, only our planet, only in the gospel of Jesus Christ does he make you into a new person, give you a new identity, and then tell you to behave out of it. And that's what Paul's saying. All these metaphors, we had the, we had the field, we had the building, we have the temple. The whole point is Paul saying this. Listen, church. When I look out at you, it's like pulling up to a job site and the work's half done. Right? All of us are a work in progress. We're not there yet. The roof hasn't been put on, right? The windows aren't in. The, the carpet's not. It, we're not there yet. We are a work in progress. And now we need to become what we already are. Our identities need to lead to new rhythms, a new way of living. And what's this warning meant to do? What, what, why would I do this? Why would I get up here and yell at you for an hour? Right? There's a big difference, but some people think that preachers get up and they're, most, they're supposed to make people feel good. And I believe that preachers are supposed to get up and really cause people to despair in all their own good works in every other way of finding redemption where the only, the only thread of hope is Jesus Christ. That's it. Every other foundation. You thought you were a good person. At least you know you're better than that person, right? You're better your neighbor, better than whoever you want to compare yourself to. All those foundations shift, and the only foundation that stands is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So listen, every sermon for the rest of my life, and I pray that I got another 40 years of yelling at you, every sermon for the rest of my life is meant to create a really a despair of your own righteousness, a despair of any other way out, and only cling to Jesus Christ. Every sermon, you know what I'm preaching now. There you go. There it is. That's what I'm preaching for the next 40 years. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So as we come to the table this morning, that's my hope. That you would despair of your own right. That you would turn from all other ways, all other foundation, all other hope, and cling to Jesus Christ. Listen to, uh, I just read a biography, George Whitfield. Um, listen, listen to what he said here. It's, it's amazing. My dear brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, fly, fly, fly for your lives to Jesus Christ. Fly to a bleeding God. Fly to a throne of grace and beg of God to break your hearts. Beg of God to convince you of your actual sins. Beg of God to convince you of your original sin. Beg of God to convince you of your self-righteousness. Beg of God to give you faith and enable you to close 
with Jesus Christ. Father, that's my prayer for all of us, Christian and unchristian in this room, believer and unbeliever. I pray that we would all close with Jesus Christ. We would all cling to the perfect object of our faith, that our faith, it may be weak, it may be feeble, it may be nothing but a spider's web, but we know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ is strong. So Father, would you break our hearts for ways that we've destroyed community? Ways that we've despised community? Ways that we expect too much out of community? Ways that we've wanted to use community? When people get big and you get small, we want our leaders to be perfect. We want our community to meet our needs and make us feel good. Father, would you convict us that we're all guilty? We all have messed up your community in some, in some way. And we deserve your judgment. We deserve your wrath. We deserve for you to come looking for us. But I thank you that you laid that wrath on Jesus. That you came looking and you found Jesus. And you put him on a cross and you nailed spikes in his hands and you stabbed him in his side and you let his oxygen leave his body and his heart stopped beating and you placed all of that wrath and all of that judgment and all of that guilt that comes from being under the law. You placed it on Jesus Christ so that we could walk free. He died to pay the price for our sins. And he was resurrected to set us free to live new lives in him. Would you breathe your spirit through your people? Would you secure them in Jesus as we come to the table and we, the body is broken, representing Jesus Christ, whose body was broken and the blood was spilled covers our sin would you communicate that grace to us would you do the theological work in our heart to help us see God is really big God be glorified in us this morning we ask all these things for your glory and for our joy in Jesus name amen